Welcome back, Missio family. Today, you'll hear Pastor Josh talk about how our attitude affects all areas of our life. To have the attitude of Jesus means that we will live with the life he desires for us. If you have any questions about Missio, you want to join a missional community, or you have any prayer requests, please contact us at missio.life. Well, hey, good morning and welcome. Uh, glad to see you today on this sunny North Dakota fall day. We've had some rain. I think it's continuing to rain out there, but uh, God takes care of his creation and replenishes the earth, and we're grateful for that. Um, so today we have a special Sunday, and as you may have noticed, there's food everywhere, and you can smell all that different stuff kind of mixing up. And at the end of the service today, we're going to take all the chairs, and we're going to move them out, bring some tables in, and just have a meal. So please stay with us, especially if you didn't know or this is your first time. We'd love to get to know you. Um, and also just wanted to mention, too, that we're in the process of kind of reformulating some missional communities. And so if you're interested in being a part of that and kind of taking a next step of community with other people, um, let us know. We're still trying to work some people in. We don't have groups every day of the week, so... Um, bear with us as we figure that out. So um, today we're continuing on in our series in the book of Philippians. And I would guess that to ask everybody in the room, you've probably met someone with a bad attitude, right? Everyone's laughing. Everybody knows someone with a bad attitude. And it's that old saying, if you don't know someone, it might be you, right? So we all probably know someone with a bad attitude or have been there ourselves, and there's a common theme that runs through the book of Philippians, and that theme is joy. How do we find joy? Well, see, joy and our attitude are very much interconnected. And so we're going to be talking about attitude today, and some of you are going, oh, great, right? But we all need an attitude adjustment once in a while. We need a bit of an attitude tune-up, just like your car might need a tune-up, need some new spark plugs or a fuel filter. Maybe our heart and our attitude needs a bit of a change today. So I also wanted to mention, as we work through this book, we're, we're kind of taking it in smaller bits, and we're going to be in Philippians for a little while. We're at about the halfway point now. But I just wanted to encourage you that, um, to read the book of Philippians on your own. It's only four chapters, and so if you wanted to read it every week, you could just reread it, and God will speak to you through His Word as you spend some time with that. So it's four chapters, that's four days out of seven, easy, if you do a chapter a day. So take some time, read the book of Philippians, and I guarantee that as you join us here and as we walk through, you'll get more out of the teaching. So anyway, um, attitude. Some of us need an attitude adjustment. And it's funny because when we're kids, don't, don't adults always talk to kids about their attitude? Like, come on, junior, shape up. You need a better attitude. Or, you know, teachers will tell kids that all the time. And yet here we get to be adulthood and we still have bad attitudes. You think we would have learned by now how to have a good attitude. But the struggle is real. We all continually need our attitude to be adjusted. Because God doesn't want us to be grumpy, sour, negative people. Have you thought about that? That is not God's desire for his people. And I can tell you why, because we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the good news, and if anyone should be hopeful, if anyone should have a positive outlook on life and be joyful, it's the people of God, right? So God does not want you to be stuck in a bad attitude. I want to share a quote with you by Chuck Swindoll. 
He says, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes. It is more important than what people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or scale. It will make or break a company, a church, a home, a marriage. The remarkable thing is that we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play the one string that we have, and that's our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. We are in charge of our attitudes. I've read that quote a number of times over the years, and it always just strikes me like, wow, why do we forget how important attitude is? 10% of what happens to me and 90% of how I react. I think that's true. So let's go to the Word today. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2, and, and we're going to see what Paul has to say about attitude and how it's connected with joy. So I'm going to be in Philippians 2, if you have a Bible or want to follow along on the screen, starting in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from His love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish and don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name that is above all names, the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I love that passage. And what Paul is talking about is he's saying, first of all, you need to have a gospel attitude. What is a, what is a gospel attitude? A gospel attitude is an attitude that's shaped by the realities and the truths of what God says. And, and Paul starts out right there in verse 1. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? So these are rhetorical questions. He's asking them, are these things true of you? And the answer is yes, yes, yes. These are all realities that the Philippians had because they knew Jesus. They, were, they had the gospel. So yes, they had comfort. God loves them. God takes care of his kids. Of course they had comfort. Did they have encouragement? Yes, they belong to Christ. And they have fellowship with each other because they have the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God that dwells inside every believer. When a person comes to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. God himself dwells in their heart. And we know from Scripture they're given a new heart that can be tender and compassionate. 
So what Paul's doing is he's asking these questions to say, this is who you are. This is what's now true of you, so live it out. Let it be your reality. Have a gospel attitude. He doesn't stop there. He goes on to challenge them to take action. Look at verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with one another, with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Now, if you were with us last week, you might recognize that phrase, one mind and one purpose. We talked about being unified around the mission of the gospel. So Paul's repeating what he just said a few verses earlier. He said, you need to be of one mind and one purpose. The gospel unites you as a people to accomplish what God wants for you. See, if the gospel is truly good news for us and good news for every area of life, which it is, it should impact our attitude. Why would our attitude be any different? If the gospel is good news for us, then it should uh, impact the way that we think. The problem for, for us is we often think, if my circumstances were just a little bit better, if I had better circumstances, well, then I'd have a good attitude. Anybody ever bought into that? Like, oh, well, I just have a bad situation here, so I'm totally justified in having a stinky attitude. But the gospel's good news. Our attitudes get stinky when we don't trust in who God is and what He says is now true of us because of the good news. Let me see if I can apply this to an everyday situation for us. We talk a lot about gospel fluency. How, does, how is the gospel good news for everyday life? So I tried to think of a place that I would, like, that I would go that I would have a bad attitude. And, and the place that came to mind, the DMV. Does anybody like to go to the DMV? No, nobody likes the Department of Motor Vehicles because everybody there is mad. Everybody there is just in a rotten attitude. You walk into that place and it's just heavy. So if you go to the DMV and you have enough foresight to make an online appointment to get on there and, and book a, a time, your wait might be a little bit shorter, but you're still going to sit in a chair and wait. And if not, you're going to be waiting a long time, could be hours. And you get up to the window, and that's a joy, right? We sit at the window, and I'm sorry, if anyone here works at the DMV, maybe there's some great employees, and, but the, my experience has not been very fun. It's been, hey, I'm in charge, and I have power, and you're going to do what I tell you to do. And so you get up there, and if you don't have all your paperwork in order, you get to go home and repeat the whole thing again. They send you, oh, make another appointment. And so we go into the DMV, and we're, we're just bad attitude, right? We can't wait to get out of there. Oh, it's just horrible. But what, ha what would happen if we applied a gospel attitude to that situation? What if we went to the DMV and we said, okay, I'm going to walk in here remembering that, first of all, um, if I'm on a time crunch, it's maybe because I've packed too much stuff in my schedule, and I'm just going to be here, and I'm going to let this play out. And we walk in, and instead of sitting in a chair in the lobby and scrolling on the phone and just, you know, fuming about how long it's taking, maybe we put the phone down and engage with the person next to us. Get to know their story. Maybe just take some time to visit with somebody. And then when it's your turn to get up to the window, maybe try smiling to the person on the other side of the glass, being kind. And even if they're rude to us, being grateful and thanking them for their service, right? And, and maybe looking at everybody in that DMV as an image bearer of God, that God loves every person in that cranky place just as much as he loves me. And I get to be 
his hands and feet in that situation, I get to show a heart that Paul said is tender and compassionate. How different might our experience at the DMV be if we walked in there with that kind of attitude? Probably stand out. So gospel attitude changes our perspective, gives us the the perspective that God wants us to have. Paul goes on, he says, I'm going to give you some practical advice here, be humble. So have a gospel attitude, remember who you are, remember what's true of you, but just be humble. And I think that's easier said than done, isn't it? Oh, just be humble, okay, easy. And it's one of those verses that people love to memorize. I want to read it again. It says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look only for your interests, but, but take an interest in others. It's like, whoa, are you serious, Paul? You want me to care more about other people than myself? That is not the message that our culture tells us. Our culture tells us that you are the most important person on planet Earth, and when you walk into a room, you need to make everybody else feel that way as well. You need to be a big deal. I mean, we have social media. That's, it's everybody posting about how great they are and just promoting themselves. And, and this is totally opposite, isn't it? It says, don't be so worried about yourself. Be humble. Take an interest in other people. If we're honest and we look around the room, I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. We're all equal. We all belong. We're God's people. We're his creation, his image bearers. And so when we start trying to rate people and say, well, you're better and you're worse. And no, we're all just people. It it changes our perspective. So Paul says we're to think of others as better than ourselves. That's a picture of humility. It's not, not necessarily thinking that we're junk or having some kind of low, like weird self-esteem issues. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less, maybe less often. So like not being so preoccupied with me that I have the bandwidth to, to focus on other people. Romans 12, 3, Paul wrote to the, the church in Rome and he said, for by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. He says, think of yourself with sober judgment. Well, what's the opposite of sober? Intoxicated. If a person is intoxicated with alcohol or drugs, they're not thinking straight. They're not, they're, they don't have sober judgment. He's saying, think with a clear mind and see yourself as God sees you. Have an accurate understanding of who you are, not an inflated ego or some kind of like self-deprecating, you know. Um, so people say this all the time. Well, I'm nothing. I'm just dirt. I'm a worm. I'm, you know, I'm an empty vessel. They, they try to like be overly humble and it's really like false pride. Have you ever noticed that? It's like I'm showing you how humble I am by, by putting myself down and it's really a form of pride. It's like the person who said, I wrote a book on how to be humble, how to become humble and how I achieved it, you know, like. It just doesn't work that way. You can't brag about how humble you are. See, humility is not insecurity. It's not low self-esteem. It's an accurate understanding of who we are in relation to God. Pride says, I'm enough on my own. I don't need God and I don't need anyone else. Humility says, I'm not enough on my own. God, I need you and I need other people. Humility is a right understanding of who we are and what our needs are and our limitations. 
Say, God, you're, you're the God of heaven. You're over everything. And you give me the breath in my lungs and you keep my heart beating and you provide for my needs and my food, my shelter. My, you provide love for me. God, you are everything. That's humility. Not thinking, well, I'm junk. I'm no good. That's not true humility. Paul says, take an interest in others and don't just be interested in your own stuff. This week as I was preparing for this message, I came across a story of a guy named Sheldon Yellen. Now, he's the CEO of a company called Balfour Holdings. And they're a company that does like disaster relief and restoration services, a very large company. And one thing about this man, this Yellen, is when he started out, he was a low-level employee, and he liked to write birthday cards to people. He would just, on their birthday, he would write them a card, handwritten note, he'd send it to them. Well, over the years, he worked his way up. Now he's the CEO. There are 9,200 employees, 9,200 employees in this company. And he handwrites a birthday card for every single employee every year. And he also writes thank you notes, and he writes get well soon cards and anniversary cards. I mean, I don't know how the guy gets anything done other than writing cards. But he made that a value. He said, I'm going to take an interest in the people who work here. I'm going to value them enough to take time out of my day. I mean, if anyone is, is busy and thinks he's a big deal, it'd be the CEO of a company with 9,000 employees, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't be so preoccupied with you and yourself. Take an interest in other people. Care about their lives and what's going on. That's what true humility looks like. So I want to pause here for a couple questions. We're going to discuss this, and I just want to see what God's maybe doing in your heart and in your mind, and so uh, we're just going to discuss a couple of things. The first one is this. What are some practical ways we could live others-oriented? Anyone think of maybe an example of how we could live others-oriented? Volunteer. Volunteer? Yeah, how could we Volunteer. Serve, help people in need. Yeah, absolutely. What else? We could build a coffee trailer for someone. Could build a coffee trailer for someone? Is there more to that story? <laughs> yeah, they, their family just built a coffee trailer, so he's, that's a little bit of an inside joke there. But Yeah, how could we live others-oriented? What's just something basic? On a daily basis. Maybe not something huge. Pray. pray? Yeah, pray for other people. It's pretty tough to be selfish when you're praying for somebody else, isn't it? It's really hard. So yeah, praying for somebody else. The second question is this. How might our attitudes change if we truly took an interest in others? We stop criticizing and be grateful. Whoa, he said we'd stop criticizing and be grateful. Yeah. What else? I think by default you give others a lot more grace when something does happen or there's a bad time. If you're, if you're focused on them, I think you give them a lot more grace. So maybe you live with more grace when you're focused on other people? Yeah, what do you guys think? Any other thoughts before we move on? You're on staff so, like, oh, I'm not going to pay if you're not as focused on it, you know, I don't realize how it is. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty huge. Our own stuff doesn't seem quite so big when we start looking around and caring about others. Everybody's going through something. Everybody's dealing with something. But we're only focused on me and my world. It's pretty tough to be aware that, hey, somebody else might even have it worse. If I think my situation's bad, someone's got it worse. Right? But just to be aware and to care about other people changes our perspective and our attitude. Paul tells us in verse 5 to let God do the exalting. I want to read this again. I know we already read it, but I want to read it again because it's good. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." So Paul reminds us of Jesus' deity. He says, Jesus is God. And he left heaven, he left his throne and his place of authority in heaven to come down and put skin on and to walk as a man. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man at the same time. It's one of the mysteries of the gospel. But he comes down, he leaves his authority of heaven. Now if anybody could have bragged about his resume, it was Jesus. I mean, come on. King of kings, Lord of lords, commander of heaven's army, creator, sustainer of the world. He could have flexed that on some people. He could have, but he didn't. Paul says he he took the form of a slave, or a servant is another word we can use for that. He came to serve. He said, I love you this much. I'm going to lay my life down for you. Jesus could have called to the angels to come and rescue him out of that situation. He could have but he didn't. He said, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to give up my life so that you can live. Jesus didn't flex his authority. How dare we ever think we're superior to someone else? If Jesus didn't do it, if he didn't claim his superiority over everybody else, and he was God and he deserved to do it, could have been justified in it. Why would we ever flex authority on other people? That's not humility right? That's not the heart of God. He didn't cling to his rights and privileges. Jesus didn't have an attitude of superiority. He would have been justified in doing it, but he didn't. That's what Paul says. He says, look at Jesus. God himself came down and died for us. Luke 14, 11 says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, this is a biblical principle. It runs throughout all of Scripture that pride people set themselves up and then they fall. God will humble them. But the person who humbles themselves, God will lift them up and He will reward them and He will take care of things in His own time. It's totally backwards than, than what we would think. We think, well, I need to promote me. I need to make sure everybody knows how great I am. The Bible says, no, you need to humble yourself. Have a proper view and perspective of who you are. And God will take care of the exalting. God will take care of it in his time. 
James 4, 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. It's another example. So in other words, it's not your job to make you look good. It's not your job to make you look good. It's your job to trust God. He's going to take care of it. It's, it's the example of, um, imagine in a company, maybe some of you can relate to this. There's, there's two employees, and the one employee is always doing all the stuff, and they're making sure everybody knows that their numbers are high, their performance is good, and hey, I uh, lifted this box over here, somebody give me a pat on the back, like, and you know some people like that, maybe you work with somebody like that who's all about self-promotion. I'm going to climb the ladder, I'm going to show everybody how awesome I am. The, the secret is nobody likes that person. Can't stand them, like, oh, they're just always out for themselves, it's just... Uh. And then maybe you have a second employee who works at the same place who serves and shows up and does all the things behind the scenes that nobody knows. And they don't even really recognize that they're getting done. And maybe they don't get the accolades. Maybe they don't get all the pats on the back, but they show up and they have a servant's heart. And everybody in the business loves them because that person actually truly cares about others and helping. Totally different, isn't it? God's going to take care of the promotion. It's not up to us to promote ourselves. It's not up to us to make sure that everybody knows how awesome we are. God sees the motivation of our heart. He sees in here, and it matters. So don't promote yourself. Humble yourself and let God do the exalting. Two more questions for discussion before we close here, and it's this. And this might be a little, take a little bit of thought, but what lie are we believing if we think it's up to us to self-promote? If we take matters into our own hands and we think it's up to me to promote me, what lie are we believing? Let me say it a little louder. We are in charge of our own identity. That we are in charge of our own identity. Sure. Yeah, it's, it's all about me. I'm in charge of me. What else? There's lots of them, so... Who said that? God's not big enough. So I have to take care of me because God's not going to take care of me, right? Absolutely. Think of any others? How about that God's word isn't true? He says, uh, I will exalt you. You humble yourself, I'll lift you up. Maybe we just flat out don't believe that. We just say, yeah, that's nice. That's nice on a, on a framed Bible verse on the wall, but it doesn't really hit me in, in my everyday life, my workplace. Well, the second question, what difference would it make in our lives if we had the attitude of Christ? Paul says, have the attitude of Christ. What kind of difference would that make in our lives if we did? Obey your parents. Obey your parents. Yeah, he's liking that, right? That's good. Yeah, because we have a sense of authority, like, hey, I... I'm going to obey my parents. That's who God's given me to listen to. Yeah. What kind of a difference would it make in our home? Marriage, family. Let's get specific. Would it? It would make serving others instead of something you have to do, something you get to do. Whoa, that's pretty big. It would make serving others something that you get to do, not something you have to do. The attitude of Christ. Jesus wasn't... Carrying that cross going, oh man, this is a drag. I mean, he's literally dragging it, but he's, like, 
He went, he said, I'm going to do this because I love you. And that's what the attitude of Christ is, says, I'm doing this because I love you. Not begrudgingly, right? How else? Any other thoughts? Makes it hard to look down on others. Makes it hard to look down on others when you have the attitude of Christ. Yeah. So instead of looking down on others, maybe what would we do? What would be the, the outcome of our, our attitude, a better attitude? Reminded they're made in the image of God, in the image of Christ, right? They have equal value. So I've got some good news and some bad news for you. The good news is you are 100% in charge of your attitude. If you don't like it, you can change it. The bad news is you are 100% in charge of your attitude. (laughs) And you can't blame anybody else. We try. We try to blame other people, but... It's ours. We, God gives us the choice. He said, how are you going to live today? How are you going to approach the world? How are you going to treat others? And it's totally up to us. And so if you've been living with a bad attitude for a while, or, or maybe just kind of up and down, and again, we all need a check-in. We need a check-up to say, God, adjust my attitude. There's hope. You can change. And, and I would just ask you, if you don't like the way your attitude is today, if you don't have joy in your heart, It could be very much connected to your attitude. Say, God, help me with this. Help me change this. Pray and ask him for help. He wants to. He wants you to reflect the fruit of the Spirit. And ask some people around you, hey, keep me accountable. You see me going on in the ditch over here, please point it out to me because I'm not always aware of myself. And and I think we can change. There's hope, right? We have a gospel attitude that says, this is who I am in Christ. And we're the most joyful, hope-filled people on the planet. And I can have a good outlook on life, even at the DMV, right? That's your challenge this week. Go to the DMV and see what happens. But we can be humble, right? We can say, God, I'm not all that in a bag of chips. Like, I need other people, and I'm not that great, and I'm just, I'm just a person, I'm just a human. And we live humbly, and we let God do the exalting. He will raise us up. He will reward us. I don't have to prove myself. Attitude is powerful, isn't it? 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we react, how we respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word and you have given us this exhortation to have the attitude of Christ. Lord, we have bad attitudes all the time. And we regularly need to be reminded of the realities of the gospel. That we are called to live humbly. We are called to serve. We are called to let you do the exalting. And not try to impress everybody around us. And what freedom is in that, God? And how much better are our relationships when we don't live self-absorbed? And so God, would you help us today to grow in this area? To bear joy. Because we have an attitude that is positive and hopeful because of the gospel. Not just because we're positive thinkers. Because we have the realities of the cross. Of eternity, God. And a relationship with you. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace when we mess up. You welcome us back. You don't push us to the curb. You don't give up on us. 
So Lord, do a work in us, and may it be deep and transformational, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close in song? Josh left us with a few takeaways from today's service. Gospel Attitude If the gospel is truly good news for us, and good news for every area of life, then it should impact our attitude. The gospel is good news, and if we believe it and live it, our attitude is so much better. Our attitude often gets stinky when we don't trust in who God is and what is now true of us because of the good news. A gospel attitude lets us live everyday situations with a better perspective. Be humble. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Humility is the opposite of pride. Pride tells me I am enough on my own. Humility tells me I need God and others. Let God do the exalting. It's not your job to make you look good. It's your job to trust God. Discussion questions. What are some practical ways we could live others-oriented? How might our attitudes change if we truly took good interest in others? What lie are we believing if we think it's up to us to self-promote? What difference would it make in our lives if we had the attitude of Christ? Thanks again for listening, Missio family, and we'll see you again next week.